This is the Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast, where life and business intersect. Hosted by Jennifer Glass, CEO of Business Growth Strategies International and BGSI Coaching. We are dedicated to your success. Welcome to another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. Very often, businesses are trying to figure out, how do I get the right kind of funding? How do I get an investment in my business? Or if I'm looking at selling my business, how do I get a higher multiple for what it is that I'm actually selling? There's a lot that goes into that conversation. And the what if conversations are really a major part of what we doing, or what we may be doing. And I say what if in a way because my guest today is the what if guy. But before I bring him on, let me tell you a little bit about him. Sean Delaney is an accomplished business executive, entrepreneur, lawyer, speaker, and author. He is the founder and CEO of What If? a business acceleration company dedicated to educating, protecting, and motivating business owners to achieve their highest levels of success and impact in the world. Sean specializes in strategic planning, organizational effectiveness, supply chain, and risk management, and disaster planning. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. I forgot that I had lawyer in there. You know, I like to hide that. I don't want people to know I'm a lawyer. I don't want them to hate me right off the bat. I want them to grow to dislike me. But yes, that is one of the things I try. I try not to practice, but. Yes. And I was going to say, we won't hold it against you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. So first of all, I got to ask you, because I mentioned you're the what if guy. Yes. So tell me more. How did that even come about? So how did what if? So uh, so for your audience, in case they can't see my shirt, the what if uh, there's a D in there instead of a T. So the D is for disruption. And the it's an upside down question mark with the dot being a play button because I believe no great things are achieved without first asking what if, challenging the status quo. It is a it is a question that in and of itself it sparks innovation. We never would have put a person on the moon and brought them back safely. Thanks for adding that second part, guys. Bringing them back safely, we never would have done that if we hadn't said what if. What if we could do that? And the fact that I'm from New Jersey, that's how we say what if anyway with a D. So I digress. But uh, it, it, the name is just about challenging the status quo, uh, asking the right questions, turning things upside down to look at them in a different way. And I have found that kind of disruptive thinking and the kinds of things that I teach in my business architecture knocks people a little right or left of center so they can see around the things that were in front of them and uncover, illuminate the path to scaling in a way that's easier, simpler, and just more fun. Shouldn't business flow? Shouldn't there be ease and joy, Jennifer? I I know we agree on that. 110%, yes. Um, It's all, you know, let's see what we can do and make the most of it uh, because after all, that's what we're doing and who wants to be, you know, all upset and bored or whatever, you know, every day, rather, this is what I love doing. So, let me jump into it. Sure. We were talking about getting funded, getting investments in the business. Mm-hmm. Why may somebody be looking for funding or investments in the business? Before we talk about the practicality aspect 
beyond that. Yeah. Well, so so lots of reasons they're not keeping up with the ability to fulfill. They got a giant order and they need some short-term cash there. But I think that's what you're talking about. You're talking more about the massive expansive expansion kind of funding. Hey, we need to build a new factory. We need a whole new product line here that's going to have some materials. And we have investable assets. It's not just a great idea. It's something that an investor could actually get a decent return on because we want that value exchange. We're not just looking for anybody can go to the bank and say, can I get a loan? But if we're really talking about an investment, you want somebody, think Shark Tank, you want, you hopefully will have somebody who's investing you that can also bring other assets to the table and that you have assets that they're investing in. Things that are trademarked, copywritten, protected this way and that way. Like I said, it's a little shorthand for all that stuff without boring anybody with too much of the legal terms. They're going to know what it is if they're looking for funding. Yes. Um, And again, I mean, one of the bad things is you mentioned Shark Tank. And you see sometimes people have a PO and that's what they're looking for the funding on. Yeah. A PO being a purchase order. And they're giving away a significant amount of equity in the business just to cover that purchase order. And or, or they're borrowing money at a usurious rate from somebody who is one step up from a leg breaker. And they're, they got themselves in a bad cash flow situation. And now they're... They're borrowing money on accounts receivable at at terrible rates. And that is just a spiral down the drain. So I hope we're not talking mostly about those people, but that that can happen. And typically when I start working with those kinds of people, I have people I know who might be able to get them out of that financial situation backed by serious lenders and people who don't want to see that kind of leg-breaking situation going on anymore because those people can really get people in this debt spiral and, and collapse old long-standing businesses. You know, it's like the grandfather started it and the father had it. And now the kid has it and he got himself in this bad financial situation. And now a family legacy could go under. And so we first remove the threat of the debt collection coming, get them in a good place, payment plan, that kind of stuff. And then I have to dig in and say, now, why did we even get ourselves there in the first place? Especially if this is a company that's been around forever. What changed that we couldn't see that has blown a hole in this business? Did the new person come in and not really understand business and started to run it like a lifestyle business and they're draining all the cash out for country club memberships and new cars? Or uh, did something else happen? That a market shift, some kind of other dynamic, something is supply chain broke, COVID blew up their business, who knows what it is. And now they're in a terrible situation. We get them out of it first, but let's find out what those issues are and start to give them clarity, a business architecture that lets them run things in a more sane way. Now, the other thing is people are coming and they're saying, I want to do that kind of big expansion. I have an idea that I just can't get it off the ground unless if I only had somebody give me $10 million, this thing could be the great giant, most giant thing in the world. And I did this with one of the companies I had, and we just got $21.5 million to build a factory. And all because we had two things. We had the patents and trademarks on the things that we needed them on. So we protected the asset that we had. And then we could point to a sensible business architecture to say every element of this business that you want to make sure that we have accounted for, we have a shorthand for telling you that we're all over it and a system that you can plug into anytime to see exactly what's going on here with this business. And that gives money comfort to say, I'm going to have a window here. I'm going to see it. 
And that also helps get you away from having them put someone in your operations to say, I'm going to watch every single thing you do with every penny. Because that can happen where you can take, once you take too much money without giving them confidence that you've got things under control, and now someone is coming in saying, I want to see where every dollar goes, guess what? It's not your company anymore. It's their company. I'll leave it there it's for a really second. important thing to keep in mind. Um, I mean, if you think, well, I was operating the business as mine, and then all of a sudden I have someone coming in, whether it's a, a VC firm or it's worse when it's vulture capitals that are coming in and yeah. uh, taking over the business. There's a lot there that uh, certainly gets involved. But Sean, I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned an example like the uh, merchant cash advances, yeah. which are an example of where it may go off the rails. Yeah. What other kinds of funding are available in terms of getting the investment in the business or funding sources? Uh, so you've got your, your, so great question. So you've got your typical bank backed kinds of things, institutional loans. You have um, private investors or you have groups, right? Venture capitalists that come in. We're not, we're, we know the vultures, <laughs> right? We talked about that a little bit. You have venture capitalists. And then you have, um, you could have put your business in some kind of incubator, which is a form of venture capital where the capital where they're funding a whole bunch of companies and letting them mix together and seeing what comes out of the mix. That can happen. You see a lot of that in Silicon Valley. And then you have the family owned offices. We've talked to some of them with people where those are, um, if you have a business, like for example, you're making biodegradable food packaging and you talk to a family owned family office where they say, we're super into green stuff. That's our jam. Come and talk to us about it. Where can we play here? And they, it's like feel good money. They can put this money anywhere. There's very little constraints. It's not a bank with, with all kinds of rules and regulations around it. They can, these are people who can strike a check. Those are the people, again, where you need to make sure that you understand, does this money come with strings and how many? And do they have the confidence in what we're doing here? And I think, you know, a great business plan helps. A business architecture helps. Uh, and, then, and then certainly having enough investable assets and things that they can attach the investment to helps. But you want to be able to give them enough confidence that they're at least not messing with you <laughs> if they're not the kind of partnery kind of place to say. And we also have connections in our investment. We know we're going to help it because we're giving you this money. We're giving you $21 million, but we're also connecting you to four other people who are going to help market openers, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And that's really important to keep in mind just in terms of what are you getting with that um, investment? Because you can get money in lots of places. You can get money in lots of places. But but first and foremost, like you would do with any kind of business partnership, is make sure your core values align. Because I have people where I don't, I didn't see where the relationship was going to go, but we had core value alignment and now it's blossomed into something and we trust each other implicitly because we started there. If there is not core value alignment and you're kind of going, well, we're just going to take this money from them. And I think they're going to leave us alone. And yeah, we got to take them out to fancy dinners every now and then, but eh, I can't stand them. And I kind of think they're shady. You're not in a good place. 
we need to think about this. Right. Yeah. So looking at it from that perspective, and again, I mean, with Shark Tank, you go on Shark Tank and you're getting that investment and in coming from a shark as opposed to, you know, Jane Doe, it's going to be a very different, I can open up more doors just because of being on the show, which is a great example of how that can work. And um, I'm just going to do a quick plug here for a show that I'm an associate producer on called America's Real Deal, where unlike Shark Tank, we pitched the American public for an equity crowdfunding program. Nice. Um, so it's not um, looking at it to the judges on Shark Tank. We pitch the American public and we take your business public. Yeah. Um, now, with that commercial over, I'm going to ask you if we're looking at putting together an investment profile, mm -hmm. we need to go after somebody to help us with this investment, whether it's a VC, an angel, it's whoever may be there to help us with that investment. How do we start putting that piece together in terms of getting that uh, profile, putting everything together, knowing how much equity we can really be giving, knowing how much evaluation the business may be going for in terms of that regard? Mm -hmm. How do we start looking at it in that um, aspect so that we're not giving away too much of the business on the one hand, and we're also making sure the investor is getting a real value yeah. for what they're doing. I think first, the first real grounding space is to understand. So you, it, it's, it's the key core to the valuation. I wouldn't suggest anyone try to, first things first, the, the business owner needs to stay in their lane and make sure that they're killing it on the things they do. Because you and I both know too many entrepreneurs try to Google everything and AI everything now and do it all themselves. I heard when AI started, it was becoming more, more prominent that this is the end of lawyers everywhere. And it's like, oh my God, it's just another tool. That doesn't mean, just because a really good saw came out doesn't mean that carpentry is going away. It just as it's a new saw, you still need the carpenter to understand where to apply it. Right, and lawyers are certainly not going away, especially after that guy put the brief in that he just took straight from one of the AI things and well, <laughs> quoted precedents that didn't even exist, but it's <laughs> yes. different story. <laughs> different story for a different day. And so I implore you, I mean, in the architecture we teach, there is a risk and defense element to it. And I say, there is a point in this. I understand that entre entrepreneurs are going to try to do as much of it as they can on their own, but please, on some of these things, there are professionals out there that you need. So one of the things I would say is absolutely be working with someone who knows as a profession, how to do a proper, proper business valuation. But before that, I can't tell you how many people I hear will say, but it's such a great idea. I'm like, okay, but it's a rock, right? Yeah, but it's a rock that I glued eyes on, right? It's a pet rock. I get it, but it's still a rock, right? There's no, what barriers to entry are there? What protectable things you have? You don't really understand your value, regardless of how many people are buying these rocks today. And, and so, or... Hey, you're a great personality. Man, you're terrific. I get it. You you are terrific, but I can't invest in just you. You could drop dead tomorrow. There has to be something that has a barrier entry around it. So that is the first step to say, is this even something that I should waste my time saying, can somebody invest in this? Rather than just, trust me, I'm going to make a lot of money. And therefore you'll make a lot of money. 
Yeah, that's a that's we're already setting ourselves up for, for for heartache. And because anybody who's going to invest in that is just looking for either to take something from you when you default, they're some kind of vulture waiting to pounce, or um, or at least not a very good partner because it's like that old saying, you know, I I wouldn't join a club that from from Groucho Marx wouldn't join a club that would have me as a member. It's like, I wouldn't take money from somebody who would invest in this. This isn't where, why are you investing in this? Well, I got too much money and I don't care. That's not a good partner for you. And so while that seems enticing, like I said, now they're in the walls. They're going to have some kind of say in what happens with your business. And so we need to make sure that I fully understand just what leverage I have and what am I protecting and how much am I letting people see? I mean, NDAs need to be in place. You need to have a lot of protections before you just start saying, hey, look, I've got this amazing left-hand widget and I think it's going to cure all things for all people. Want to see it and help me show it around and see if anybody wants to invest in it? Well, anytime you build something great, this new castle that you're trying to build, wolves will come out of the woods. The more shiny and attractive your thing is, the more people will come trying to take from it. I don't want to, wow, what a dark place we just went. But when you're talking about risk and defense, and getting into bed with people because they're throwing around money and it seems like the thing to solve everything for you. I think we should, we, there's a, it's okay to have a sprinkle of caution there. And so I think one is to know exactly what value you have. And then two is to say, when this money comes, do I have the channels? Do I know exactly what I'm going to do with it? And is that all buttoned up before they ever come? Because if it's just to pay yourself a salary, that's not going to happen. But if it's because, yes, it's because I have this trademarkable thing. We have this biodegradable material that nobody else has. We're first in market, trademarked up, with patents on the machines. Nobody can get in here for X number of years. And this is what we need to do because we have massive companies waiting for the orders to come in. We just need the money to do this, this, and this. And here's the exact path. And here's all the roles, responsibilities. Here's every bow, every I is dotted, T is crossed that money's going to come fast because now I have shown up like a great partner because you, you'll see that too in those let's you shark shark tank again as an example. I don't, even if I'm a Mark Cuban, I don't have unlimited money. I need to place bets in the places that I have the most confidence and I'm going to get a return on that. And that's a lot of things in that calculus, but for the purposes we have here, yeah, one of them is the thing you have and what I might be able to do with it and take it to places. More specifically, the thing you have and what you're going to do with it because I want the least amount of work for me. And so, yeah, I might be a multiplier to things because I'm a Mark Cuban. Hey, there are still people in the world that have landlines. I do. And it just went off. There we go. My family just stopped the ringing. Thank you. Um, that's my wake up call. No. So uh, you you need to. Sorry, now I'm totally. <laughs> anyway, the. Um, Mark Cuban's the world, they say, there's so much that, there's only so much that I want to do. I mean, yeah, I'm going to give you the money. The, uh, the ultimate is I give you the money, you run and gun, and we all share in the win. I also might be doing it because I know I'm a force multiplier because, hey, you have a thing that works in basketball, just making stuff up. And look at that, I got a basketball team and I know everybody there and I know all the people and I can grease the skids here. And this is going to be, go further faster just by me being involved. But if I look and it's and it's like, oh my God, you got nothing. You got a great idea. I don't know how you ended up getting this thing patented, but you have no business acumen whatsoever. I'm not giving you this money unless I'm taking 
I need at least 51%. I'm going to have to put in my own team and I'm going to have to have somebody sitting there looking over your shoulder because you haven't been good with the money you've had so far. You squandered it somehow. You don't look like you've got things put together. And so it goes, it goes beyond just having a good business plan that you could have paid somebody to write. And so, uh, so there, rather than spending your time skilling up on the valuation or finding the money, sourcing the capital, I would spend time on gussying up your stuff, how you operate and looking like you've got a handle on it. And you could be a good steward for somebody writing a $20 million check. So let me ask you to look at it differently. There's a big difference between a $1 million investment, a $20 million investment, a $100 million investment. Yeah. It's not necessarily, depending on the size of the business, that much of a difference. But the first time somebody takes an investment, there's a huge difference in whatever yeah. that amount is. How does somebody get used to the idea that now this money is coming in and whether it's used to, you know, plant or people or product, it's being used in some regard, but all of a sudden though, I mean, Hey, if I'm getting a million dollars coming in, I'm getting a hundred million dollars coming in. Well, wait a second. You know, that's like a ton that's coming in Yeah. or how do I start even just connecting to the idea that now all of this money is there and I just sold a piece of my baby for this money. How do you yeah. put those pieces together? Yeah, there's a real emotional roller coaster that you just talked about there. Um, be, because one, if you've been saying all I need is the money, it's the all the hopes and dreams. We're gonna save the farm, right? We finally got the money. Our business is going to take off. There can be a, yeah, there can be this giddy elation that now entices you to not handle the money appropriately, right? Or be scared to do anything with it and now regret giving up. Like, oh no, I'll never get that percentage of my company back. And all I have now is this money. I'd better make it last and not spend any of it. Both are terrible extremes, right? I'm going to go hog wild. I'm going to I'm going to save it for a rainy day. And so the number one thing you have to remember is it's not yours. Yeah, they're giving it to you. You went to the bank. You now see it sitting there. You can feel like look at what I have. I'd rather you think mentally that it is a loan even if you never have to pay it back and they're just now in the room and you have a partner. Think of it as this wasn't mine, it was theirs. Let me serve the avatar that I have for my business first and foremost, and let me serve the investors. And then all will write with me. It will come out especially. And so stick to the plan that has been written by you or your advisors or a combination of them, the one that they wanted to invest in. And now you can't go wrong because you can say to that investor, well, this is what we said we were going to do with this money. We both agreed. This was the best plan forward. And so even if a certain portion of that money, let's say, goes to salaries of people and that kind of thing, as long as that is all above board and agreed on with a schedule, then now you are kind of eliminating that, that uh-oh, I'm not spending it fast enough or I'm spending it too fast and on extra things because now all those shiny objects pop out. My, my 
business partner and I have to do that now where there were some things that we said, well, when we get the money, we could do this, this, or this, or this, thinking the investment was going to be much less than it is. And now that it's over $100 million and the first tranche of it is 20, you have to pause the brakes. And at least we have a, an investment partner now who's saying, no, I get it. You don't just get $100 million. Even if you raised money before, even if you raised $100 million before, it can still be a kind of, whoa, what just happened? Like that is, is there an island I could buy and just get out of here with it? And I mean, <laughs> not that we would have to do it, but you, yes, there is that kind of, I'm a little breathless now with the magnitude of this. And what do we do first? Well, we had a plan. Let's pump the brakes. And let's say this was the plan. This is when the money's coming in. This is where we decided it was going to go. And our investment partners has already agreed and where that's happening. And so now let's just follow the project plan. Now it becomes boring. Let's have a boring allocation of this really exciting thing. That way we won't get ourselves in trouble. There's no parties. Nobody's buying crystal and <laughs> sabering off the tops of champagne bottles. It's an exciting thing for a minute, but now let's go do the work because we have this grace from God. We've been given this money, given. It's not really ours because it's a loan. But, you know, now, so, but let's be good stewards of that capital in the interest of the thing we were trying to solve for the world, which hopefully wasn't let's get really rich. Hopefully it was, okay, we're trying to take plastics out of the ocean. Does everything we're doing now with this money still jive with that mission? And it's, it's still on track with what we said it would be over the next one to two years. Great, and thank you. Um, yes, and it's really important. Again, um, you're looking at the funds. They are placed on deposit with you. They're not yours. And that's right. the big thing just to remember anytime there is an investment and it has to be looked at in that regard. Just like if you are sitting um, in a nonprofit board, as an example, mm -hmm. you have the funds that are in the nonprofit's treasury and you are a fiduciary steward of those funds. Act the same way with the funds that are coming in, you know, even grant money. And I laugh sometimes in the nonprofit world, you get grant money and they say, well, you only have six months to use it. And so sometimes <laughs> you end up literally blowing it on whatever just because you only have six months and whatever is not used after six months goes back and so i know as an example there's one um nonprofit organization that i know of where he had to go and literally just buy computers because his budget was running out at the end of the year and it's use it or lose it because the next year's budget mm -hmm. is based on what you use the prior year yep and if you don't use it it's gone forever. Nope. Guess we're getting and company cars, everybody. Yes, <laughs> Great. <exactly. huh? laughs> so things definitely start making a big difference in that regard. And so when we look at the investment, we have to act in the same regard though, paying really close attention to what we're doing. And as long as like Sean, uh, you said, everything has to be listed out. Here's how the funds are going to be dispersed, how it's going to be used, things along those lines. If the investor is okay with that, then we run with it and we let it go. Yep. Um, you know, everything is above board. We laid out exactly where we're going, how we do it. So let's fast forward now, two, three, five years down the road. Mm -hmm. You had the investment. Now you're looking at an exit. Maybe it's an IPO. Maybe it's an acquisition. Maybe it's just a direct sale to someone else. Um, 
how do you start even making your business more um, ideal, more suitable for someone to come along and give you a higher multiple? And that doesn't matter if it's an IPO because in an IPO, your market valuation is this. It's still based on some sort of valuation or you're doing an acquisition or a sale. It's all going to be in that regard with looking at it that way. So how do we get the business looking the right way, even with all those investors in the past? Yeah. Uh, beautiful. So uh, as you know, because we've talked before, I, I have a business architecture, which is the lens that through which that we see the world, all business. All business is just value exchange. So 20 years ago, you've known this, for over 20 years, I've worked with some of the biggest companies in the world, Nike, Uber, J&J, MetLife. That was where I discovered that while every business is different, every company is different, all business is the same, just value exchange between individuals. And, And so it didn't matter what industry I was solving seemingly intractable problems by asking what if. I, I discovered there are 10 fundamental disciplines that run through every business. And they're a little broken in institutional institutional world because the institution itself, the machine itself, manages out or dilutes some of the incompetencies that, <laughs> that people might have or that groups of people might have. And so the machine will keep plugging along and it might have some failures, but we look to them because they're big, giant companies. And so I have to run like that. Boy, I wish I could be a company like Amazon. So I'm going to do everything that they're doing. But we don't realize because of their size and the nature of the thing they've built, especially if it's a really old company like a like a JJ, not them, not can't calling anybody out, but especially the old companies have been around forever. They have all this kind of institutional inefficiencies that are just kind of gobbled up in in within this enormity of what they're doing. We look to them and say, I want to be like them. And then we all dig a little left or right of center where we should be also. And we try to emulate what they're doing. And we try to do strategic planning the way they do it and project management and risk management and all these things that we sort of all realize that we, after we fell into a business as entrepreneurs, we cobbled some things together. We found out we had some deficiencies and then we tried to learn enough to, to make this Frankenstein monster now of a business that's lumbering along. And look at us, we made $10 million. But what we didn't realize is we could have made 100. An investor person sees that. Right, they see there is something here, and I want to invest, and I'm going to let you exit this company. But you're kind of a mess. This is them in their head now. It's kind of a mess. I'm going to have to clean a whole bunch of this up. I'm going to make a lot of connections. I don't know, but I see that there's going to be opportunity for me to make extra money, so I can pay very little, and then do that extra work, and then I'm going to make a lot of money. Or, if you have all of these disciplines buttoned up and aligned, because it's in the leverage between them, where the real value comes. Then the investor says, well, I see the potential here, but you also have right before exit buttoned a whole bunch of stuff up and put bows on things. And now my lift is a, is not nearly what it otherwise would have been. And so even if they don't like style of your management, style of your leadership, the, the systems that you use, they at least see that it's all connected and it is a li- more like a living, breathing organism, which is what a business really is rather than just a machine that has some failing parts and some suboptimal systems that I now have to come in and, and lift. And so those 10 disciplines, I renamed them because names have power, names are important. It's disruptive to rename the things because 
knowing that those disciplines are failing them. I know plenty of entrepreneurs who say, I tried strategic planning. It's a bunch of garbage on a wall that doesn't mean anything. You paid some consultant to come in and write it and who cares? Or uh, no, I do strategic planning. I, I lean on a Lamborghini and go like this with my money. So I'm gonna, my plan for next year is to make it rain, bro. That's not a plan either. And so they see failed models of strategic planning and then they just don't do it. And so I say, if it's not strategic planning, the essence of all 10 of these disciplines are, are is what really matters. And so instead of strategic planning, I call it navigate. And it's just core values, which I said before, massive for alignment, for partners, for people working for you, for anything you're trying to do in the world, especially investors, let's get a core value alignment. And then being really focused on your mission and vision in the right ways. And then that leads into how you manage projects and it goes down through the 10. And so instead of things like strategic planning and project management, we have navigation and operate. And those new names spell harmonious. And so what we have is the harmonious business architecture. And so I use that with both large and small businesses to say, let's button this all up in a nice package uh, that can benefit not only you while you're there. What if you don't exit? What if now, what if you're, you were going to exit because it's such a pain in the butt. And now that it's humming, you go, I, you know, I refell in love with this thing. You reconnected me to my mission and vision. You fixed all my operational problems. This thing hums. Why would I ever get rid of it? Well, you don't have to. Now it's something you love. Great. Or now I can get more money because that investor says, I have confidence in what you're doing. You have a whole architecture here. That's, that is pretty sophisticated thinking. And it's not complicated for me to take it over. Now the transition from you to me is so much easier. And I already know how to keep running things because I just don't have to, I don't have to come in and do a whole lot of heavy lifting to keep this thing humming along. And so that's why I have that, uh, that architecture. And we have a diagnostic that helps business owners actually diagnose their business across the 10 on their own and gives them a plan to fix it. What's better than that? That absolutely. Coffee, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna take a hard turn here and I'm going to ask you what makes you get out of bed in the morning? Oh, that's a great question. So I am at the place where, um, you know, for all those years working with those big giant companies, it was kind of a soul sucking, uh, engagement, right? I mean, I served one, I saved one of those companies, $30 million and no one cared. Like after the project, no one cared. Because it didn't really change anybody's life, didn't move the stock price. And so that was certainly not motivating. Once I started working with small businesses, entrepreneurs, and then they say, You're now God bless you. My kids can go to college. My my I can expand. I don't have to lay I have these people off. I can employ more people. I can do more good in the world. That really jazzes me up. So the thought every morning that I'm springing out of bed to make a difference. You know, I'm in the latter half of my, I know I look really young. You don't have to say it, Jennifer. I said it for you. But at 52, I'm starting to think, what's my legacy going to be now? And I have all this knowledge of what's broken in so much of business. And I can lay it out for people. That jazzes me up. Plus, also, I love the thing I do. It's fun. That's part of the reason why I have the architecture I have is because fun has to be infused through there. Otherwise, I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm not interested. So I love that thing that I'm doing and the impact I'm having and working with people. And so that excites me. It gets me out of bed. 
I'm interested to see what the day is going to be like. Fresh sheet of paper, new cup of grace. Let's go. Absolutely. And that is always one of the best ways to get out of bed when you love what you do. Yeah. You know, it's not a job, it's life. And, you know, it makes a very big difference in that regard. Yeah. So keeping in with this direction, I'm curious to know, Sean, what do you define success as? That's a big one. Did I know you were going to ask that? I didn't know you were going to ask that. What do I define success as? Oof. Um, you know, I don't know. And I'll tell you why I say that, because if you were to ask me in a moment when I've been thinking about it, are you successful? I'd say no, because I'm the kind of person that still sees all the stuff that has to be done. Now, if I turn and look back and have to do some kind of marketing or something, it makes me very uncomfortable to do it, but because it feels like bragging. We all know we have to do it, but I, I am one of those people who's like, I still don't see it. I haven't done enough. I have to keep giving. And so what is success? I mean, I think if I get out of this life, having left it in a better place, having done more good than harm, having raised kids that are going to be good stewards of of their fellow people and the earth at large. I think in today's day, how much more can we, can we count as a success than that? Because the money comes and goes, but time well spent time is the true, is the true asset because there's never going to be any more of it. It flows in one direction and we're here to make the best of it. The money comes, goes, it was never really ours. And so I, I don't know that that's the measure. I think, so I think it's the number of day at the end of your life, it's the number of days counted as I did better, I experienced more, and I gave where I could. Absolutely. And not to get uh, religious, but in the Bible, even, mm -hmm. Jacob is asked by the Pharaoh, how old are you? And he answers in the number of days. Because you know the days of my life are many, the years are few, mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Yep. Um, where he's saying, "Look, I did a lot," um, and that's the thing that really is going to matter in terms of where you go. Yeah. So, thank you, um, Sean. People have been listening to our conversation for the last uh, 30, 40 minutes or so, and they're curious to know and want to connect with you, how can they reach out? Yeah, so if they go to whatif.com slash chaos, then that'll take them to the bad, which is the business architecture diagnostic, but it's also a page that just tells you how to get in touch with us. That diagnostic, by the way, I used to charge over $2,500 for it, or maybe not over, it was $2,500 for big businesses. And it, and it took like hours and a lot of input. Now it's eight minutes and it's free, but you get the same kind of report and analysis that comes afterwards that says, here's the architecture I'm talking about. Here's how it might be manifesting in your business if these are the scores are, are true. And here's the roadmap forward on your own, not selling you anything. Um, and so, uh, but that's there on that. And so if they go to whatif.com slash chaos, then they'll be able to get a hold of me and what I'm talking about. Thank you. You're welcome. And so, Sean, 
thank you again for being my guest on the show today. I think that we uncovered a lot of the investment aspect, a lot of the um, multiple aspect, and really making sure that our fellow entrepreneurs realize some of the big things that they need to be doing mm -hmm. as they're going through this uh, journey called business ownership. Yeah. And a lot there that we all need to be looking at. And it doesn't matter, Sean, you and I are both business consultants. We look at what we need to do, just like our clients need to. We need to be looking at our business the same exact way. We need to be making sure that things are going to be a certain, um, as I say, a certain je ne sais quoi about what it is that we're doing in our business and a certain way of presenting it to everyone. Um, one thing that I often say is the painter's house is always unpainted <laughs> because very often we're great at helping our clients, but we forget about our own business. And mm -hmm. so knowing and hearing it again, needing to get clobbered over the head with it, if you will, um, really allows us to see even more and with greater clarity. And if you're not already um, going to whatif.com slash chaos, you can um, take a look at that uh, program and see the diagnostics, see how it'll work for you. It's really going to be a big thing, um, possibly for your business, maybe not. Maybe you're running perfect and you don't need anyone to come in and that would be absolutely terrific. Um, if so, I'd love to meet you. Yes. Teach me a thing or two. I need to hear it again. Absolutely. <laughs> I am right there with you. You know, I mean, you can be doing your own masterclass and, um, you know, we would love to just see how that can really be making a difference. But again, Sean, thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. It was fantastic. I love this show. Love thank hanging out so with much. you. Likewise. Thank you. And on that note, this has been another episode of Mojo, The Meaning of Life and Business. And until next time, here's to your success. This has been another episode of Mojo, The Meaning of Life and Business podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review, liking us, or reaching out to us. You can contact us at bgsicoaching.com and let us know what you think. Thanks so much again for listening.